This is Eve Newsday. We also have Talking in Stations, the proper podcast, which is every week on Sunday. Uh, today, we're going to talk about a number of things, uh, get you up to date on some of the news that's going on, and, uh, and then we'll talk about other topics with Ash Sharathi and uh, our guest. But before we introduce him, uh, I want to introduce um, everybody that we have in the room, because it's kind of a packed room today. So we have uh, uh, Rundle is here with us. How are you doing, Rundle? Doing great today. How are you? Good. Uh, Gregorin's here. Good evening. And of course, Ashtarothi is here with us. Greetings, fellow Empyreans. I am Ashtarothi, and uh, we, we picked out a yellow sun for today. Sounds good. Okay, uh, would you introduce our guest, and uh, what are we going to find out about today? Uh, yes. I don't know how to pronounce it. How do you pronounce your name? Pilot Shoot? Is that right? Pilot Shoot. Sorry, yeah. I should have done my homework. No, so uh, Frankenstein First is a is a little group that I've known f- about for a little while. They they really came into prominence around uh, Invasion Chapter One, and uh, I most know them because they were the ones who perfected and, and executed the signature based uh, solution for the Kaldari Dreadnought, where you could actually use stealth bombers, which is pretty cool, and. Uh, I caught back up with them today and found out that they're still running the Dreadnought sites now in Poshvin uh, with with a story that made me immediately require to drag him onto the st- onto stage and, and make him tell everyone because it's really cool. So without further ado, I can let him introduce himself further. Uh, hi, Pilot Shoot here. Uh, my in-game characters are Alea and Eliza Coots, and I got some like other characters that are links and shit, but you know those two characters the most. Great. Nice to meet you. Okay, um, are we going to go right into that topic, or can I do a little bit of news first? We have some other uh, basic news that we want to cover, uh, some smaller bullet points before we start meeting it, digging into something that might take up the rest of the hour. Hmm. Um, first of all, I want, want to point out that since we didn't really have a show yesterday, uh, yesterday we got the news that our very own Elise Randolph has uh, ascended beyond our plane and has now become CCP Swift, which I'm super happy to hear. Although I'm, un- it makes me upset that I won't be able to see him on on our Sunday show. Yeah, God um, have mercy. say that again. What? God have mercy on him. <laughs> no, he, that's a great thing. He's uh, so Elise, of course, is known to many players, not for talking in stations, but all the stuff that he did generations before. Uh, working as Pandemic Legion's uh, leader after Shadu. Uh, Shadu kind of slowly worked him in to become uh, the leader of PL uh, around 2000 and I imagine 14, maybe even before that. And so he has a ton of experience in the game, but he's not a player that plays only in Nullsec. After he did a long stint as their leader, he did uh, Alliance team stuff. He actually went on to do a number of different things in different places uh, aside from Pandemic Legion. But you've seen him as a, a shoutcaster for EVE Online Alliance Tournament and tournament-type things. You've also seen him do fan fests. He does interviews all the time. Everybody knows who Elise is, and for a very long time. Uh, so it's uh, yeah. 
it's only fitting that he ends up working for CCP uh, with their community team so that he can interface not just with Talking in Stations and the audience at Talking in Stations, but all presenters and streamers and that sort of stuff. So he'll be talking to the community and the players that don't even participate in any of the extra stuff. So that's Elise's new gig as CCP Swift. He is part of the community team. Yeah, and the I think that the fact that he is on the community team is by far the most interesting part of this uh, news to me personally. Um, as as you mentioned, like one of the things he's well known for is the Alliance tournament commentary back in the day. Um, and another person that kind of came from that background was CCP Rise, who is a more content and and, and CCP Fozzy. And Fozzy, yeah. Um, who are designer develop you know designer side of things and Elise. Elise is one of those guys that, like, if I ever wanted to do a show that broke down game mechanics, he was on a very short list of people that I'd like to be the person that I'm talking with because of his deep understanding of the of the game and his ability to explain the, the game in a way that is not only sensible but kind of fun. And he's friendly as he does it, which and he's got a way of... Uh, you know, conducting himself as he's teaching people, everybody, everything that is is uh, very useful and somewhat unique. But um, what I also find interesting about him being chosen as the community team specifically is that this means that he is joining CSP Convict and CSP Affinity, or not Affinity, um, Aurora, uh, uh, as the newest acquisitions for the CSP community team. And while CSP Convict has a long-standing tradition of uh, supporting live events, in-person events, and therefore he made a really good replacement or uh, augmentation for somebody losing somebody like CSP Guard, both CCP uh, Aurora and CCP, or sorry, now CCP Swift, both have strong history in tournament backgrounds, and I think that that is not an accident. Well, we'll see. It it seems to me that with the company being CCP being about 300 people big, that every developer counts. Uh, if they have a personal interest in pushing or putting in some extra time for a thing, that seems to be what uh, wins the day a lot of times. It's the difference between, a, say, a CCP newsletter or not a newsletter, or even sometimes localization or not localization. It feels like devs' personalities make a difference. They're projects make a difference. Uh, we know a lot of quality of life changes are made by a car crew, or a lot of times on her own time, apparently. That's what I've heard. I don't know. Yeah, and I think... Well, on on 20% time. 20% yeah, time. I, I was going to say, what I find also exciting is is Elise is very, very aware and integrated and understanding of the CCP lifestyle and work style, right? Uh, good right. friends with Celine, who was a CCP employee first. Uh, uh, he's been in and around the the CSM. He knows a lot of other people, the tournaments and stuff like that. So I think the ramp up time is is uh, next to null, um, relatively speaking. And I think he can bring immediate impact to the the company. And you know, he's always been when you're talking, when people are talking about ideas and idea generation. Like, oh, we should do this. Like, he has a very understanding, like, well, that's going to take X amount of time. And, you know, there's 42 different versions of X that we could pick from. Like, he's he's already very well integrated into that mind of thinking so he can see all angles and all sides. I think that's really good. Um, I can imagine he's very excited. Uh, the move to Iceland, I'm sure, is very exciting for him. I met Fozzie in Austin right after he'd been hired. He hadn't even made it there yet. He was, like, super excited. I remember... You know, the total excitement with Fozzie before he left. 
uh, hopefully uh, Elise is enjoying it as well. Uh, pandemic is going to make it a little bit odd, but you know, I hope he didn't buy a, a house pad right where the volcano's taken off right now because he might have to change his living location. But yeah. not not pandemic legion, but the actual COVID pandemic. The actual yeah, pandemic. yeah, yeah. Sorry, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, the actual COVID. Oh, by the, the way, real world, real world problem. We're not, we're not saying there's going to be an alliance tournament or that Elise is going to do anything to push it that way. We're just saying, as Ashtarathi brought it up, that's kind of interesting. Those two things yes. coming together. So, so there's a question well, from the audience, uh, really quickly. This means Elise will no longer be on TIS at all. It's not even as much, at least as at all, in terms of Elise Randolph or being a member of TIS. He might very well come back as CC, uh, CCP Swift as a guest, but he's going to have to conduct himself completely differently now as a member of uh, underemployment of CCP. He is now CCP Swift. Yep. It's the same way that like CCP Convict is now CCP Convict, not Bam Stoker. Although um, it is worth noting that that CCP, especially in the last year or so, have really um, allowed the the devs to be members of the community and in this sense, allow the community to be members of the dev. And so this more than any other hire that we've seen recently is really, as you were pointing out, like Elise is just taking off one shirt, putting on the other and is basically just being who he is, which I think is really great. All right. To wrap this up, uh, yes, Elise was no longer going to be uh, an official part of Talking in Stations. He was our Sunday Nullsec guy, among other things. Uh, and uh, we are not going to be able to use him in that capacity because CCP, as a CCP employee, he can't weigh in on strategy, people's motivations, what's going to happen. He can just do none of that, not only for us, but for anybody. He's completely changing shirts. Um, to uh, a, a different responsibility. So yeah, we won't have them here anymore. We talked about this. It's not a surprise to me. I knew about this uh, before the public and we'd already talked about it and we are nothing but happy for him uh, doing that. We are not a at all going to be able to replace him. So we're not going to try. Uh, we will evolve as Talking Stations always does to um, continue to bring great content that is worth watching. So... Uh, we'll figure that out, um, or we'll show you what we're going to do in the future. So stay tuned for Sunday's show. You'll see how it changes. So hand it over the CEO position in his corporation to another person because uh, CCP does not allow pe it's people to be uh, ma major players in NullSec. I'm sure we'll get the, they'll get all that sorted, but. Um... Yeah, at least we'll continue to be his functionality, probably of like helping explain the game. That's the other piece that that is in common with him and CCP Aurora is that these are people who are well known for explaining the game to people, for building tutorials, for building, you know, infographics, um, and for helping people understand what is happening, um, and and also helping CCP understand what people may not understand. Um, yeah, you know, that's what, the big one. By, <laughs> yep. Uh, but okay, moving on. In other news, uh, hold, hold on. Let me let me interrupt you and insert some news since it's uh, fresh off the press. Uh, Snuff just lost a Titan in uh, Maya. Let's have a look at that battle report. Yeah, totally. Sound effects, please. Um, yeah, so it looks like a Titan got bombed. Gregorian, do you know how this how this happened? I'm not quite sure. Uh, I I asked a couple of people who I know and. Sounds like uh, the Titan might have bu bumped off when it jumped in and then gotten dread bombed 
but that's all I, I know right now. Okay. Uh, the last I heard about it from uh, Wrecking Crew was that one Titan died. They almost got a second Titan. They got him down into armor, uh, but that didn't work out. It got away. And the actual battle report comes out to 210 billion destroyed by Wrecking Crew and friends. Uh, you can see who they are here. Dock workers, uh, Siege Green. And uh, they lost about 121, mostly in dreads at the same time. So that's a pretty good, uh, pretty good battle report for uh, Wrecking Crew, uh, Dock workers, and Siege Green and all those guys. Uh, so Snuff yeah, losing a Titan. Yeah, there have been a re recently a, a lot of uh, public uh, statements uh, between Wrecking Crew and Snuffed Out attacking each other with one thing that Snuffed Out frequently has tried to say was that uh, RC can only win against them by having larger numbers and taking heavy losses to secure the objective. And, well, this... Uh, this is one case where even though they did have larger numbers, they all didn't really take he heavy losses in the same way that it snuffed out likes to brag about. Okay. So we'll keep an eye on that. It's again, that's a theater that we're looking at in general. Uh, let's see. This is more related kills here and okay. Take it away, Ash. Actually, I'm going to interrupt him one, one quick time. It's yeah. really, it's Eve news real fast. Um, the uh, Able Gamers group, a bunch of CCP oh, uh, yeah. Eve players got together, yeah, over the weekend to do this uh, the the charity uh, for Able Gamers, which is for a campaign to help um, people with disabilities and all sorts of stuff, right? So uh, Rain, we had Rain on the show, and it, she was uh, you know one of the main streamers, but Urschlag, Manic Velocity, Suetonia, Drayden, Lara Play, Scottish Dex, Ron USMC, and CCP. Uh, convict as well uh we did streams all week the uh total is currently sitting at nine thousand five hundred and seventy dollars uh, i think when we talked to her it was nice. just sitting at three grand um it, so her current goal is at 10 but it turns out that ccp is going to donate a thousand dollars nice so yep and so they're going to be almost at 11 so I would say anyone listening, it's four hundred and thirty dollars. If we can crack eleven k, I think that would be fantastic. Um, you know, she's going to do an article, so I think, hey, excellent shout out to Rain and all those people who donated their time, and double extra shout out to the entire community for rallying and donating. Uh, there were some people who dropped a thousand dollars themselves. Redline over at uh, at New Eden Post dropped a thousand dollars himself. That money is tied to a very personal situation, and so per I'll talk to him tonight and thank him again. Um, he used some money for a very good um, element. There's some anonymous people. There's a list of people like serious. Some people put up some serious money, and but every dollar, some people you know with work being out of work put five dollars towards. Every dollar counted. Excellent job, community. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. And that goes towards a bigger fund, doesn't it? Like the guy yes. in charge of Able Gamers is raising a certain amount. That's right. He's trying to raise like a million dollars and every single dollar goes right to Able Gamers. There's no middle ground, no middle uh, no middle siphoning of the of this money. That's right. And Able Gamers is a great charity for those of you who don't know. Yeah. 
So excellent. Uh, thanks for, thanks Matterall. Thanks for the team for allowing her to come on and at least spread the word and, and listeners and anyone else who spread the word and, and promoted it. Uh, you know, I, I appreciate it. It's uh, I, I like this charity as well. And the, the cause is, is, uh, you know, a great cause as well. So gaming for everyone. Oh, great. Thanks. Good job, Rain. Good job, team. Okay. Uh, what else we got? Ash. <clears throat> oh, 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 it's my turn again. Okay. Okay. Um, Let me take it away. (laughs) Speaking of the community, uh, the Band Apart, which is, uh, sorry, Stay Frosty. Yeah. A Band Apart, which is part of Stay Frosty, right? Shoot. I think a Band Apart is the corpse. Yeah. Band Band Apart is the corpse. Stay Frosty is the Alliance. I'm pretty sure that's the correct one. Either way, uh, they were formed seven years ago. So they just recently were in the news because they did the Frigate Free For All. And today um, on Evoganda, uh, Rick Javix posted a uh, blog about the, the seven years of a band apart. So that's pretty cool. Um, and then, so now we've, we've got patch notes and some bug stuff. So real quick, today was a, a pretty interesting patch. There's two big significant changes that came with this patch, even though it's technically not a new patch. It's it's part of the previous patch. So like there's no new uh, posts about it. There's no like if you see the entry about it, it's, this, it's technically part of last week's patch, even though it has new features to it. So just don't be too surprised. So the two big things is one, the jump clone changes are in. So now... Uh, there is no longer restriction of how many jump clones you can have in a single station or structure. You don't. You can now have as many jump clones as you want inside of a single structure or station, and um, no longer will you like be jump cloning out with a clone and then accidentally destroy your other clone that was already there with your really expensive implants or something like that. That is not a thing in the game as of today. Um, it is also st- so, and it's also true that if you're in a player structure then swapping between clones within the same player structure still ignores the the timer so it doesn't activate a clone swap timer and it doesn't uh you can still do it even if you have a clone swap timer um this is a really great thing for wormholers people that live off in the distance uh maybe abyss runners that have multiple clones and don't like to have to swap between a bunch of different places in order to swap between their clones um and anyone who has their maximum of i think 11 total clones um, this is a, this is a great quality of life change for, for basically everybody. Um, and then the other big one is, oh, sorry, there's three big changes. The other one is the burst jammers are now no longer allow interdiction nullification. This is a relatively sm- small change. Uh, this is very common in wormhole co- or not very common, but it, it, it was a thing in wormhole and null set combat where an interceptor would come into like a Triglavian fleet and would do a burst jammer and cause all the Triglavians to break their locks and then warp off. And if they're, they're interdiction nullified, they can just get away without anybody being able to do anything about it. So now if you use a burst jammer, you actually get a, a, a duration of time in which you cannot, you're no longer interdiction nullified. So that, that interceptor would now no longer be able to warp away and we just get blapped. Uh, but even bigger than that comes the signature radius suppressor, which used to be the target spectrum breaker. So uh, I made a joke that these two changes probably happened in the same patch because they wanted to teach us the difference between the two, the the target spectrum breaker and the burst jammer. People often confuse those two. So uh, 
the target spectrum breaker is now turned into the signature signature radius suppressor. Uh, just like before, it is still a battleship only piece of equipment, so it can only is a module that can only be fit to uh, battleships. And now it gives you a ten percent reduction in your signature radius, which is your effective size, um, wh while it's being passive, and it has an activation that will reduce your signature radius by 70% while it is active, which means that a battleship can have a cruiser or smaller signature radius uh, during the 12 seconds or more asterisk um, that you have this thing active. This affects two things, one, three things largely. One, it makes it so that if you're being hit by bombs, you will take significantly less damage from those bombs. Two, it makes you significantly harder to hit for that period of time. It's as if you were a cruiser-sized ship or smaller, uh, like with turrets or whatever, or even missiles. Um, and three, it makes you harder to scan down both in its passive form and also more broadly, although it is mo uh, pointed out that ECCM would likely be more effective at preventing somebody from being able to scan you down than just having the signature radius suppressor. Obviously, you know, you pick whichever one secondary effect, other effects that you would be preferring in that case. So it's a really interesting ship uh, or module for battleships, marauders, black ops. Um, and we'll see whether or not that gets used more than the target spectrum breaker did. The Oh, sorry. There's also another big change in the patch notes today. The wormhole change came in, which did two big things. One, it made all of the basic wormholes, except for small wormholes, have a larger per transit mass change and it reduced the frequency of wandering connections so medium wormholes used to have 20 uh me uh, 20 m mass 20 I'm, I'm assuming that's m3 is that no it's volume kilometers sorry million kilograms million kilograms okay so 20 million kilograms and that's been increased to 62 million kilograms um what this means is that like so this doesn't change how much mass it takes to collapse a hole, but it changes how much mass you can tra traverse through the hole per time. So it affects the, the, the high end of what you can do. Um, the large wormhole's maximum jump, range uh, jump mass increased from 300 to 375. This is the one I know the best. This means that those mid-sized wormholes um, that a lot of people roll, uh, some of the changes before made it so that those were harder to roll. Now you can plate those ships that you use for rolling, and that extra mass is compensated for. And then extra large wormholes have a ma uh, maximum jump mass increase from uh, 1.35 billion to 1.8 to 2 billion. So um, once again, this is going to allow slightly bigger things, or at least plated things, um, or you know, micro warp drives or whatever things to go through. This will help roll these holes um, to a certain amount. You have to, you can tweak your builds to make it, make it a little bit more efficient. But the other bigger change is the reduction in frequency of wandering connections between high class wormholes by 50%. So uh, a little over a year ago or whatever, about a year ago, they made a change where CCP has said that they're unhappy with how uh, controllable, how uh, with a lot of meticulous effort and that is really boring, you could have a lot of control over your wormhole life and what kind of things you connected to, et cetera, et cetera. And so they wanted to be able to change that somehow. And one of the things that they did in the early day or in that first pass was they r r drastically raised the number of wandering connections in higher class holes. And so this looks like with these other changes that they're making, they're also tuning back that. I don't know how this relates to way, way, the way it was prior to any of those changes, 
but um, that th- that's what this re- change seems related to, at least to me. Uh, so that's all the big changes for today. There is one bug that uh, came out from today, which is that the signature radius suppressor has two different skills. One of the skills says that it reduces, sorry, it increases the time that the that the suppressor remains active, right? So it starts at 12 seconds and your skills should increase it just like every other skill like that. But the problem is, is that apparently the bug makes it so that it reduces it. So actually, if, uh, if I pull this up, let me pull this up real quick. If I pull up my, like, let's say I pull up my paladin build, oh, or if I pull up a paladin, and I put a suppressor on it. I do this because that way my skills apply to to the show info. Otherwise, if I just looked it up, then my skills wouldn't apply. So now... Yeah. So as you can see here, my activation time duration is actually turned down. It would be 12 seconds, but it's actually now 11.4. Um, so right now, my skill is reducing how long it stays active when it should be making it take longer or last longer. So CSP Rise has confirmed that this is a bug. Um, it's, he, he said this is one of those, the consequences of rapid iteration and those, it's just a database tweak, bro, is that sometimes there's unforeseen consequences and not everything gets triple checked. So he said that the fix should be in tomorrow. So, uh, you know, just in case, be aware of that. <laughs> All right. So on the, uh, on the, uh, the jump clone, um, I believe it now works the same mechanic that we've enjoyed in uh, Citadels uh, is now going to be in all structures, any station, where you can just swap to your clone without uh, invoking your timer. Based on, I, I just hovered. I just hovered over um, on a character, and I just I clipped it into one of our channels here, and I'll read it. Right, you, when you activate a jump clone, uh, there's a 20-hour cooldown. I have the skill at that point. For um, this cooldown does not apply when you jump to a clone in the same structure that you are docked in. Yeah, and it's a structure. So, yeah, does that count NPCs, as a station? NPCs are stations. Ah, uh, okay. Player, just players have sure structures. That. Just yep. making sure. Okay. Well, then I got a little excited over nothing. Damn it. The the word I structure does specify oh. a player based structure. Gotcha. I always get that wrong. Anywho, uh, let me double check. I think that that's pretty much all. Oh, there's also another weird bug that I ran into while I was streaming, and I found out this is a big thing. So for the last like week and a half or so, there's a new bug where you basically hear your gate sounds. Um, it's as if you were like really close to the Stargate all the time. So uh, I guess for those of you who play, who jokingly say, does Eve, ha- Eve has sound? I guess you win this round, but hopefully they'll fix that soon. Yeah, Eve has great sound. I, I've always hated that meme or whatever it was. I, d- I hate the meme too, but yeah. they win this round. That's all I'm saying. Like next week, maybe, well, but no, sound- it, it's, it's really annoying. Sound but, wins uh, this the- round. Yeah. Yeah. You, do, you can just like zoom out on your guy because it is like proximity based. It's as if you're sh- basically the sound pretends like your ship is the Stargate effectively. Yeah. And it so, is loud. It's a very loud sound. Yeah. It's, it's not great. 
Um, but hopefully they get that fixed too. And then, uh, so yeah, that's by the way it for news. Real what? quick, Rundle, why do people say, "Oh, sound has sound has Eve, Eve has sound"? Like, what's that come from? Oh, I think well, so uh, a couple things. Um, sound is actually quite expensive uh, in terms of performance, and so a lot of people uh, turn those down and turn it off uh, when you're doing fleet battles or uh, ongoing elements. I think there's a, a natural tendency when you first start the game to turn it off because there's kind of you know some annoying, not so uh, not so soothing s- sounds to the initial player. It does come on quite loud. There's a, a lot of players turn music off. So there's a lot of incentive to, I don't know, just from a new player, odd sounds. What is that that get out of the way? Because you got to focus. There's so much data. Most people cannot play a game focus on the sound and focus on, you know, all the numbers and things that are going by. So sound usually goes away first. And then some, a lot of times, uh, you know, more experienced players will say, hey, go to this screen, go to this screen, turn this off, turn this off, turn this off. You don't need that. And so they, they kind of skip right by some very beautiful and enchanting sounds uh, in, in this game. I like playing with it sometime, but I always turn it off and forget because it is actually not so good in large fleet battles. Ash? It is worth noting that they actually just uh, changed all of the default sound levels for a new player or for like the default client to address that issue particularly. Uh, it's really interesting that you, you say that. Because um, it comes yeah, on like the, very loud at the beginning, right? Or it used to, anyways. It used to. Especially in the early days of the client, the sound was way, had a sound engine that was much less efficient. Right. And therefore, in fleet battles, it would uh, overtax your computer. Right? the client to potentially yeah. and some other some other really good points in, in the audience too right multi-boxing multiple clients uh you, know, you get to turn all that off because you get overlaying sounds and yeah so and all, all that said i will say two things about that one uh the uh advanced sound menu allows you to pick and choose which things get muted and what i really love is the advanced inactive client muting right so that way i have it so if my client isn't active Everything turns off except for things like gate sounds, you know, other system sounds. So, like, if I have a, uh, an alt on some Stargate or something, it, I don't hear its music. But if I hear if a star, if the Stargate goes off, you better believe I hear it. Um, so there's a lot of cues in the game. So, like, it is funny, you know, and everybody wants to be able to hear their, their music and whatnot. But just realize that if you learn the, the sound cues of Eve, it does help make you a better pilot. And Great. will allow you multi-box even better because you'll be able to hear something going on in a client that isn't even the active client. I've closed my client already to, to one of my characters, but I, I honestly, uh, do they still have the in-game music player? I, I thought there yeah. was an in-game music player. Jukebox, is that still used? To call. All right, we're, we're yeah. changing the topic now. Thank you. <laughs> uh, moving right along. <laughs> we'll we'll, right, not uh, we'll cover that later. Discussion. Yeah. Um, so, so, but we do have to, we do have to get to our guest. Uh, yes, please. I'm so sorry. Waiting here. No, 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 it's absolutely fine. Uh, he's been waiting for us patiently. So I introduced you a little bit before, but why don't you tell us like what you do? Well, yeah, let's start with that. What do you do nowadays? Uh, right now I'm one of the, uh, I'm, I'm still in Horde. I'm a member of Armada and we're, you know, in Delph. Uh, and then also on my uh, other main, I've got uh, director roles at Friggs where we do, 
high difficulty PVE fleets. And we try to make those PVE fleets as accessible as possible to newer players or players with lower SP qual- uh, requirements. Um, we try to make sure all of our fits are alpha friendly, or at least enough of them are that anyone can join EVE and be playing with us within a, within a week doing some of the game's hardest PVE content. Right. And as I kind of mentioned in the introduction, um, I knew you during uh, Invasions Chapter 2 in particular, in which you guys had really mastered the idea of using stealth bombers with signature tanks in order to beat the Kaldari Dreadnoughts. Um, Although I did lose track of you guys during uh, Chapter 3 a little bit. So what have you been... How did that... Did that ever change? How have you gone from where you were to what you do now? We haven't really changed what we do. We just changed how we do it a little bit. Um, Chapter 2, there was like... You get a few days warning of when the system was going to have observatories. Um, And anytime there was a Kaldari observatory, we would load up our... um, armor tanked uh, Amar uh, purifiers and our deacons, and we'd fly out there and we would run those sites for the two evenings that they would be live, generally. Um, Phase three of the invasion, there weren't any predictable observatories. And when they did pop up, they got nuked super hard, super fast. Um, Phase four was like long drawn out battles where I was helping out with Kybernauts um, and TTI to capture those systems most famous battle of which was Nyarja. Um, and then during, so during phases like three and four, there weren't a whole lot of observatories to do. So we kind of dropped off the map that way, but we still stayed together as a group doing the other content that was available. Um, but now that Pochvin is open, we've been trying to theorycraft a way of getting people who may not have standings to travel around in Pochvin because the standings based gates make it very difficult for Someone who isn't me and hasn't didn't spend months during uh, well, all of basically phase four running fleets against Edencom when standings could be gained to get uh, 3.0 plus standings to travel around the majority of Pochven. Um, so what we've been doing is we've been working on a doctrine that would allow alpha players to do the trick observatories in Pochven, which has not been trivial. Um, for a while, we were doing the Amar, um, Galente, and Mimitar um, observatories, which we could not do in stealth bombers, we're using um, the Praxis. Praxis has uniform resist. You put a couple of plates on it, some uh, bling uh, resist modules, and bam, you suddenly have the ability to um, face tank a dread wrecking shot, um, about 115k EHP in that dread's damage types, um, which is pretty cool uh, to be able to do that. But we couldn't bring Praxis, Praxis, whatever the plural for that is, we couldn't bring those into Pochvin because the wormholes we just covered, the C729 root wormholes that are inbound into Pochvin, um, the high statics, if you will, they do not have enough total mass to get a full fleet of 15 uh, pilots in battleships into Pochvin. Um, we looked at a couple of different options. We thought about maybe we just move our, our Lodgy ships, our nesters. We just have a group of people with standings to move the nesters around, and then we bring in the, um, the practices through the wormhole because we can bring in 11 ships when the wormhole will collapse after us. Uh, but that's only if the wormhole is completely fresh and we don't know the state of wormholes right off the bat when we find them. So that was a risky one, but it was, it was something we considered. We considered seeding the entire system of Pochman with a bunch of practices, just the holes and have people fly scepters carrying their fits in, um, which was something we seriously considered. Uh, but we decided against that as as just ridiculous. Um, and also you'd have to have like them board these ships or have the ships brought out of a station with some of the standings and then hot seat them and then fit them off of an ester. It was it was gonna be too much. Um did, did you did you consider so 
some of these systems are uh, have only like maybe 10 candidate systems that are eligible to be connected to. I assume that you could close the wormhole and it would reopen. You just have to refind, scan those 10 systems, correct? Yeah, uh, we're we're not trying to spend hours and hours doing these fleets though. There's a lot fair enough. Of, like we're, we're a running, good, we're, good enough we're running we're running public fleets, so a lot of the time we spend is just getting people where they need to go. Um, so we try we try so to have our what's form your solution. What our, our, okay, our solution was Stratos's Stratosis. Um, and which, this is why I this is why I dragged you on. As soon as you said I'm running dreadnoughts in Poshvin and Stratosis, I'm like. I don't want to continue this conversation until we're in front of a camera. Yeah. So I need you to tell me why why Stratios is in Dreadnought sites in Poshvin. All right. So a couple of us nerds. Uh, I'm going to call out Friedend and uh, a few other people like um, Eric Sand. We were just sitting around bullshitting one night on comms and we're like, what? We need something. And someone mentioned, like, what about pirate cruisers or like, or like pirate ships? Because they always have the, the, the weapons bonuses on the hull. And sometimes they've got other interesting perks. And I went looking around through, like, we, had, we knew we were limited to cruisers as a maximum. We were looking at T3Cs, which are way too expensive. And the SP losses are difficult to reimburse for SRP. Um, we came across, like, I opened up the Stratios, or maybe Freedom did. And we looked at it, and it was like, here is a Galente, or sorry, a Mar Cruiser bonuses was 4% resists. And immediately that set off every alarm bell, because when you have stacking penalties from trying to like maximize your resists to try and reach, like we need 130k EHP in armor to like definitely for sure tank a wrecking shot and the rest of the room and not have that player just be deleted. Um, so we saw those resist bonuses on the Stratos, and we're like, that is pretty cool. Uh, we played around with some fits and found that we could, with alpha skills, mind you, get 130k EHP on this on the ship in armor alone, which is ridiculous. Um, 130, so you said? 100, 135 with with full boosts with uh, with armor boosts. Okay, with, with an empty pod, no no skills other than alpha skills and an empty pod. So uh, are you relying on the fact that, like, so you know what Dread is going to the damage type, and so you're tanking against only one damage type? Or is this just, the I'm Eden brick Com, now? The Edencom NPCs do a very specific mix of two, of two damage types for the MR um, NPCs. So interestingly, Potsman is made up of systems that used to belong to all four-ish. I, don't, I didn't see any Mimitar systems, but there might be one. Um, uh, factions. Sharkon, yes, the Mimitar system of Sharkon, the only one. Um, they're mostly, they're mostly. Uh, right now, though, now that they're Potchman, they are Amar only. All of the observatory sites, instead of being faction or racially based by so what the system was, they are all Amar sites, which makes it actually pretty easy for us because then we know that we're going to get a primarily, you know, fifty-eight percent um, EM and like forty-something percent thermal, and we only have to take against those two damage types in those ratios. Um, Wait. Wait, so basically you just never fight any of the other dread types anymore? Yes. There's no more so, Phoenix, there's no more Moros yeah, or anything type? Those don't exist. We, we, I actually, if you go to Eliza Kutz's kill board on Z-Kill, you'll see a pod that was worth 1.06 billion-esque because I flew into a observatory in just like um, a Corvette because I just wanted to get see it, right? And I figured the Corvette will probably get pointed and get killed, but I can warp my pod away instantly, right? 
income NPCs, right. they insta lock. Like they I swear they hyperlock. They lock same tick that they that they put their uh, points on. Like it's not it's not player style locking. So I lost my pod. Anyway, um yes, we found out that they were always Amar sites. There are no Kaldari dreadnoughts, there are no Galente dreadnoughts, there are no Mimitar dreadnoughts. It is Amar only in Potchman right now, which meant that we could develop a strategy to just those damage types, which honestly armor isn't the best choice. For, oh sorry, armor. Um, but like you can't use it on ships, which we've been using before because Amar racial resists on their T2 hulls is completely the wrong side of, of the resist profile. Um, and we actually had more trouble finding a lot. Once we settled in the Stratios as our mainline DPS ship, because it was alpha friendly, we actually had a lot of trouble finding a good Logi ship. Um, the guardian simply can't get the tank, which we were very surprised by. We thought like the guardian is the, the, the buffer armor tank ship of Eve. Like, if you need, need Lodgy, you're using an Esther or a Guardian. Um, but then we noticed that, like, the T2 Galente resists have mm -hmm. enough thermal that we have a lot of open slots to fill with EM resist. Um, so our Oneros actually worked out really well. Um, we did a bunch of uh, CC testing to make sure that we had a, a solid fleet concept. And then, and then we were off to the races. So because they're cruisers, we can bring them all in through the wormholes without collapsing it behind us. Um, because it's alpha friendly with Stratos, we can have our normal player base join pretty easily. And honestly, you can get pretty close to flying the thing with about the referral SP at about seven days of training, which you need to learn how to wear the, where all the keys are anyway. Um, and it allows us to have uh, drones which as our damage type, which is pretty cool because drones are so selectable their damage that it opens up a lot of flexibility for doing other things with those same ships. Um, we can take on other NPCs in Poachman if we want to, because we can select drones that hit their weakest resists, so we can be effective with our, with our um, effective DPS. And it's just a very useful damage type. We used to use missiles, now we use drones, because they're very selectable damage types. Why not nesters? We consider nesters. Um, they're really good, but they are very expensive... <laughs> Very expensive. Our nesters are like two point five bill. Uh, Free managed to lose one on our first flight with nesters. They are not something I would SRP too frequently. They are a very good choice, but we chose not to use them. Um, the Oneros actually works better for what we're doing. It's fast enough. It does useful things. We're not locked to it though. We're actually considering using nesters if if we want to. I just I love the idea. I off the surface, I love the idea that like your fleets into Poshvin to, to deal with stuff is just an SOE fleet. Like it's the SOE flotilla heading into the site. That would be pretty cool. And honestly, <laughs> like we might have a role play day where we do that. Um, but one of the reasons we like the Oneros as our Logi is that people are going to be training um, Galente Cruiser to get their DPS up on their Stratos. I... Because they're training Galente Cruiser, when they get to Galente Cruiser 5, if they have Omega, or if they've earned enough money with our fleets to have Omega, then all they have to do is train logistics cruisers to get the Oneros. If they have logistics cruisers 5, oh, sorry, if they have Galactic Cruiser 5 and the Oneros as a whole that they can fly, then all they have to do is train into a heavy assault cruiser to fly the Ishtar, which is like the Stratos for this doctrine on roids. And that Ishtar does more effective DPS and has the oh shit button, which means that we don't ever lose one. You get a wrecking shot, you press your ADC, and suddenly you cannot take damage effectively at all. <laughs> Uh, until you've gotten revved to the top after 15 seconds. Yeah. Well, I, I have tons of qu technical questions and uh, about this kind of stuff. We can talk about it for a while, but uh, 
we probably don't want to go on for for too long for the daily show so maybe we'll have you on or we'll have a like a break mechanics breakdown of this uh one-on-one to later or something like that but uh i did want to get to the meat and potatoes the question that everybody's going to be asking which is like why are you doing this how much are you making what 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 is this worth to you okay so why am i doing this um Honestly, it's not for the in-game ISK. The in-game ISK is decent. We make about 150 million raw coin uh, per site, which takes us about an hour. Um, when Each, we were, right? Yes, one, 150 per site. So it's about 150 an hour-ish. Um, and how big is the fleet? The fleet is 15 people. So we, okay. the total payout from the site is on the order of two to two and a half billion, depending on security status. Um, we don't have lots of numbers to compare around and I don't want to talk that on, on public comms because, you know, steal our fleet concept to make it open to people. That's great. But like, we will be running the fleets. So we want to like keep our competition down to a reasonable size. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. But okay. So, so 150 million ISK per successful site, which yes. it takes about an, an hour to get it done, mm-hmm. start to finish. Uh, how many of these could you run back to back in any given operation? It depends on a number of factors, but we're kind of estimating that we can get two done in a set of about three hours of duration. Our, our, our ideal fleet, we would find a couple of observatory sites. We'd have a scout warping around in a scepter, finding where the observatories are spawned in Pushman. We would mm-hmm. fly our frigates into the wormhole, come in, do the site, fly out of the wormhole back into known space, and then go to the entrance wormhole for the next system that has it. So if we include form-up time for about half an hour, some travel time in between the two systems for about 15 minutes, and then the two hour-long-ish uh, fights, we can probably get everything done in about three hours total for two sites. So that averages out to about $100 million an hour, which is a pretty good r- rate of return for basically anyone who's not ratting in nullsec, which, you know. You're also um, getting standing sticks which ain't nothing especially for somebody who does want to live in poshvin and does need to get their standings up in order to get through the gates uh you get a standing stick every 15 minutes so if you're fighting for the entire hour chances are you're going to be fight- you're going to kill something pretty juicy every 15 minutes during that fight and therefore get a pretty good standings change it will tank your edencom standings and therefore you will never be able to safely travel through highsec without going or if you're traveling into edencom fortresses or minor victories but uh you know, I've if, if your goal is to get in a stick, even though I'm not the worst even gun standings. Well, it is worth noting that they didn't have the response fleets on the gun stars for a long time, and they just recently put them back in. So the chances of there being a gate camp on a, so any given Edencom system has just increased significantly again. But uh, that being said, um, you know, if you want to continue to fight for the Triglavians, this is an incredibly good way of getting standings up uh, and getting deeper and deeper into Poshvin. Yeah, well, we'll get about four ticks total. We'll get two ticks that are 0.09, which are pretty good from the dread and from the structure. Um, and then we'll get a couple of other ticks that'll be about 0.6 from the from the elite battleships. So how how many times do you think, roughly, have you done this successfully since Poshvin has been formed? How many dreads would you say you've taken down, just roughly? Oh, about, we've, done th- we've done three on CC. We're actually ramping up for our first honest-to-God take Queen Quality Fleet this ah. weekend. Ah, so, okay, all, so all of the Stratos doctrine has been tested on, on CC, but due to like real life things happening for everybody um, and ramping up for the summer for a lot of people, we haven't had one on TQ, but we have demonstrated the doctrine works. It's pretty easy because it's a ball. You just assign your drones to our, our trigger man and off you go. Um, 
very, very easy that? to multi-box. So what? You hear that? Do you hear that? That that's that's the sound of all of our Strybog listeners fervently taking notes. <laughs> also, because we have so many drones out, we actually don't take as much aggro as you would expect. Um, because it's very hard for them to track and kill our drones because the drones are much smaller than our ships and they are turret based, despite the NPCs having ridiculously good tracking. Like, I do want to know how you how you uh, deal with the energy neutralization. I'm uh, so really known for that. All of our fits that rely on capacitor for safety, um, primarily our own arrows, they have um, at least one battery, a uh, faction battery, of course, and lots of cap regen. Um, our Ishtars, for whatever Ishtars are in the fleet, they actually have remote cap transmitters to our, our own arrows. And the Ishtar produces a ridiculous amount of excess cap when you're not putting guns on it. Well, uh, if that's the case, and that, uh, I'm going to need you to report back to me this weekend so that way I can report back to everybody else how it went. Will do. You should join the fleet. I've seen you on some of mine. You should come out. Uh, so I'm actually uh, going on vacation to a cabin for the weekend, so I oh, leave tomorrow. terrible. I know. It's time. just travesty. Every time you've been paying lately, it's been at a time when I've been not around, too. So I want to go on one of your fleets again. This is Saturday uh, at 2300. Uh, you can you can find Friggs or just go to the SIG hack, the, sorry, the speed hack channel in game, S-P-E-E-D-H-A-C-K. And you will see me hanging out in chat and you can look at the fits, decide if you want to fly. Um, and there's also a link to our Discord there. So if you wanted to uh, follow that link and get signed up for one of the fleets this weekend, you're welcome to do so. Like I said, we've tested this on CC, and now we're going for blood. So, um, yeah, come come join us. Uh, this is also, by the way, where uh, Zenitra BPCs come from. You can you can get Zenitra BPCs from the Triglavian LP store. Yes, but, uh, this is the original and the more straightforward way of getting them. That is, um, that is true. The, the Zenitra BPCs are hard to build right now. I've got a full couple of sets sitting in a hangar somewhere that I haven't built yet, but. Um, they are. They do drop here. We do share the excess loot, so it's not just the payout that you get. If we get good drops, like a book that we can sell right away, you get the cash payout split between the fleet members. There's also a question about where, how to find drifters. So if you're looking for drifters or road drones in uh, Poshvin, you're you're looking for what content appears in any given Poshvin system is controlled by what wormholes are connected to Poshvin and open at any given time. So you're looking for a system with a wormhole connection either to the drone lands nullsec region or to some sort of wormhole, uh, like another worm, like an actual wormhole space wormhole. Um, the the wormhole space one will have the drifters and sleepers coming out of it. The road drone ones will be uh, the the portal to the drone lands will have the road drones come out of it. Uh, warping to the wormholes can potentially trigger them, uh, but otherwise they'll be roaming packs wandering around. I like to keep an eye at like the stellar observatory. They tend to, they send to like to hang out there or at player structures, but uh, D-Scan is your friend in Poshvin. Speaking of which, do you have any advice for anybody wanting to live or operate in, uh, in po- or, you know, access Poshvin content? Uh, to access Poshvin content, I would recommend, if you don't have standings yet, um, you can get into Poshvin on like a border system using a filament um, or any other system. The border systems, I think, have less competent NPCs, so less scary. Um, Armor tanking works well. Make sure your Omni tanks kill lots of things. It's totally fine to like tag a thing and cloak up on grid if you're not being targeted while there's two fleets engaging. And that's a very safe way of, of getting that ship kill. If you can tag a ship with a laser pointer, uh, sorry, a target illuminator, target painter, 
um, or whatever, and just aggress on a ship and then cloak up, you can then basically be safe until that ship dies. And then every 15 minutes, you just get your tech. Um, but Somebody once you have an interesting question, which brings up a good point. The, the, the site in Poshvin only has the MR, right? Like you can't even run has the MR, yeah. You couldn't even run the trig side if you wanted to. No, you can't. The trig side right. spawns in places that, well, I shouldn't talk about that. The tri- well, the trig site spawns in the case base side of things, and the Edencom site spawns in the in the um, in the Poshman side of things. And that's what that's my point from earlier, which is that like whatever hole is ingressing into any given system in Poshvin, that's the kind of sites that will be spawning in that system in Poshvin, the kind of rats that will be in that system at that time. And the system that Poshvin is connected to is going to have the Triglavian rats and the Triglavian stuff going on inside of it. And then there's obviously also the Triglavian minor victories that can have sites. This matches my observations. Yes. Say again? This matches my, that matches my observations. When I'm in Poshvin, yeah. I see lots of the four different factions of Edencom ships. Um, and then when I'm exiting, I always find the um, trig, trig ships, the friendlies, the blues. Uh, hanging yep. out on the on the wormhole and around system in the in the known space system. Yep. And if you ever see anybody like complaining online about like, oh, there's trig ganking people in perimeter, like that's because that's, all that is means is that perimeter is connected to Poshfin right now via wormhole. Yeah. Look up the NPC ID for Triglavian ships in Zekil, and then just like keep that tab open and refresh it every now and again, and you'll get up to date information about where the trigs are at. If you yep. want a wormhole in, you don't want to spend money on a filament. And uh, Alexis Matari has published a really great website, uh, Poshfin Entry Guide, um, that not only breaks down the rules and mechanics for how the ingressing wormholes work, but also has a list of every single candidate system for each uh, Poshfin system. So it's very possible for a group to uh, live in K-Space and still operate within targeted specific systems of Poshfin pretty successfully. I mean, we, we operate out of perimeter, so I have to agree with you there. Um, although we're not targeting specific systems, we target whatever system the observatories are in, which makes our operations a little bit different, but not dramatically so. Um, well, if you just have one person with standings that can move around, it's really easy to get in and out with a bunch of people. You just have to have the one scanner inside the system. It saves you a lot of time. Right. Also, the other thing is that the vast... Kaldari lost way more systems than any other empire. So if you start out in Jita... You have a you have a much greater chance of being nearby one of the Poshvin systems. To be honest. Oh, one thing I should mention to people that are thinking about Poshvin: um, when you warp to the wormholes that are going into or out of Poshvin, they look like drifter wormholes, but they are not. They are not dead space sites. Um, there's right. a beacon that you will scan down, and you warp to the beacon when you first scan the site down. But once you land on the beacon, you can bookmark the wormhole, warp away, and then warp straight to the wormhole without having to slow burn 100 kilometers. Do that every time, otherwise you might die. Yeah, and you can warp to the wormhole at range and then make a landing bookmark. So, like, make a bookmark, and then as soon as the grid starts to load, you hit enter. So that makes a bookmark several hundred kilometers behind you that's still on grid. Um, and then bounce that, bounce the wormhole, and you're straight on through. Um, beware, though, drifters can shoot pretty absurdly far. Um, Thought I had another point, but now I can't think of what it would be. So, uh, well, if there's a if there's a rogue drone supercarrier hanging out on that wormhole, also you do not want to get locked. 
Well, the, what's interesting is that the rogue drone supercarrier is actually an overmind. So I think that like the bigger it is, the less likely it is to even be dangerous at all. But the um, number of smaller drones it has out is ridiculous. That's true. That is true. It's, it's like hundreds of the things. And they lock super fast. And they, like, if there's like 200 of them out, which I have pretty much seen, wrecking shots happen about once every, what, 100 or once every 1,000 shots. It does not take long to get wrecking shots that even if you're way outside of their, like, fall off range, that will still hit you. So if somebody was to want to get involved and or sabotage you, how would they do so? They would join. They would get to the Speed Hack channel in game. S P E E D H A C K channel. They will follow the link to our uh, the comms link, which or the pings link, which will bring them to our Discord channel, and then they'll have all of the information they need to join or sabotage the fleet. Granted, we will kick people from comms that aren't in fleet in game, but it. Thus far, we haven't had that much trouble with people ganking us or trying to prevent us from doing our thing. Once, most partly because like we're not regular content we do this most weekends but it's a fleet we're difficult to track down and if someone wants to put that much effort into them we're a bunch of cruisers we're hard to, we're hard to pin down we don't have the bullying nesters on grid um we got a bunch of stratoses with with cloaks on them um so they they ambush us we were going to be inside a dead space site which is you know which means we have eyes outside we always have eyes outside they'll have to warp in they warp into the beacon we see them coming they land we're already warping out we're already gone like they're welcome to try. It's it's all good fun. Um, but then they will be landing and not cheese tanked against Edencom, and they will get rectified. It will be hilarious. I, I look forward to hearing how uh, successful you are. Um, oh, no, I had the, another question. I thought of the question, and then I just lost it a second time, because that's how this works. Oh, um, I guess to, to wrap things up a little bit, do you have any closing thoughts? Or as closing thoughts, do you have any other thoughts about Poshvin in general or about uh, invasions having been somebody who went through the content since chapter two? I thought the invasion content was really fun. Um, it was great for community building. It was amazing for community building. Um, I, I built the, the SIG hack and speed hack group on the trig content. And I thought phase four was a lot of fun despite being a little grindy. I only have one major gripe with Poshvin and that is like the standings required to take gates is way too high. Positive standings I get um, to prevent Eden commies from joining us, but 3.0 standings for the majority of systems and 9.0 standings for um, the home systems strikes me as unreasonably high, simply because it took it takes at least a month of dedicated effort to get a character from zero to 3.0, um, and that's playing multiple hours a day. I know I did it, and that's not something you can make. You can't have useful alts in Poshman because you right. have a character or two characters at most with 3.0 standings. And an entire group of hundreds of people may have one or two characters that have 9.0 standings because that is ridiculously long to reach. I'm sure over the course of decades, we'll have lots of characters with access to Poshman, but there's no way to get trig standings without going into like Edencom systems in known space and hunting Edencom fleets there or by going into Poshman and killing rats. Getting standings has been the biggest barrier for us to do active Pochfin content. That's why we haven't run sites on TQ because on uh, on CC we can that's Singularity Test Server. We can log in, boost standings, and have everyone able to access it. Fly around, find the observatory sites, and just do our testing. 
on TQ to get access to a site. I need I need to log in my character. Of all the people here, I am the only person with a character with 3.0 standings, despite all of us participating in all of the trick content. Um, then I find the wormhole out, and then we work up the fleet, get it in, do the site, and we would have to do like 40 sites to get one person from 0 to 3.0 standings, roughly. And that's with like and granted, a site takes an hour, at least. Two sites is three hours. So you're looking at someone having to spend 90 or more hours in the game, at least, just to get 3.0 standings to move around a, a set of systems. Yeah. The content, well, there's so, no content in, in Poachman unless you've been like dedicatedly grinding standings forever. Well, I mean, you've got... There is content to do in Poshvin, but there are there, very, there's no player there versus player. There's no there's no interesting interactions mm. between other people because it's it's a, it's dead. Every system is dead. There are the people who have filamented in and are stuck in that system. So if you've got standings, they cannot follow you anywhere. You see them, you just go back out the gate. You're done. You're clear. Right. There's no reason to aggress because aggressing will prevent you from taking a gate. So you just don't aggress anybody. You burn back to the gate and go through, and you're clean. They cannot follow you through. There's no gate mechanics to worry about. There's very few groups that live in more than one Potchvin system because while they can get into Potchvin from the known space and from Potchvin to known space quite easily through the static, they cannot get to adjacent systems in Potchvin on more than a couple of their characters. So they have no force projection outside of their home system. Here's a question, though. Do you think that if it was easier to project across systems, it would just make it so that an apex predator would just take over the whole thing and it would just be for them? I, I can't speak to that. The, I don't, I don't the know. The blue it's triangle, as it were? It's it's possible that like a group or two could try and take over the entire set of systems. But keep I'm just in mind, saying, like, the, the, the separation, while it is really inconvenient as us working within Poshfin, it does allow each system to really be its own isolated thing while still connected. I, I'm going to have to only half agree with you there. Having Potchman not I, act but, like a like most people cannot access Potchman as a region. It does not act like a region for them. It acts like a little itty bitty cubbyhole. They go into a system, they deal with a system, and they have to keep eyes in that system forever to find their wormholes in and out. Otherwise, they get rolled out basically, or they have standings to go back around to it. But like for a very, very large majority of the people, they are just little cubby holes that you can go into in space. They have no interesting connections to anywhere other than the known space system you came in through. Hmm. Okay. Well, that's very interesting. And um, if they had easier connections, there's potential for an apex predator to take over. But keep in mind, the systems are pretty big, some of them, at least a few of them. And it's wormhole mechanics. You cannot see somebody in local. You can't know someone's there until you've descanned the entire system. So, like... I don't know. I, I think there's a lot of utility to be gained by lowering the standards requirements. That's my opinion. I am not a CCB developer. Um, I would ask for that because it reduces my content a little bit. It makes it a lot harder for me to run fleets and, and access the content for other people. But I'm sure they have their reasons. I think that the big sign here is that the person who's pro-trig is feeling locked out by the standings. And that's pretty alarming. That tells me that while some of the mechanics of it make sense, uh, it's certainly not working. Uh, perhaps it's too restrictive on the lower end. Because like the idea of the 7.0 standings on home systems allowing fortresses to exist is kind of cool. But 
I, I believe that probably the other two standings points are probably too high or maybe need to be shuffled around so that like docking and stations is something that like maybe traveling through the first few Stargates is done at zero, but docking doesn't happen until at two or something like that. So that way there's a difference between somebody who can travel within Poshvin and someone who can live in Poshvin because they have access to the stations. Mm-hmm. Whereas now somebody could just dock up as long as they don't have negative standings with, with, with Triglavians. They can dock I think there's a way can't... to do it. They can't, they can't modify their ship. Fitting services are offline Correct. until you hit certain standings levels. They've already got a bunch of standings gates in the thing that opens up right. functionality of the systems. Right, but, and that's what I'm saying. They could shuffle those around and, and maybe uh, tweak that whilst, and still keep what they were going for without... Like, the fact that a person who is running Triglavian sites to do Triglavian stuff against Edencom in Poshfin is complaining about the standings is pretty much a good sign that the standings are too restrictive. Like, I, I like I like the standings gates for station services and stuff like that. It really adds to like you're a friend of the organization of, right. of the tri- trigs. Therefore, they they help you out more. You have more access to their everything. Right. right. The idea yeah. is, is that somebody who has who has like home field advantage. That was yes. the original intent. I can dock up and fit my ship, and somebody else can't. There's lots of advantages like access to the markets and stuff. That's that's also gated. But I don't think that the gates should be as restrictive as they are. I, positive standings, maybe you know, 0.03 for most systems, and then point, and then 1.0 for the home system. So right? definite positive standings, definite time investment. 1.0 standings is still not trivial. That's still like multiple so, weeks so of to, playing. To put this into perspective, I we discovered a pretty cheesy system to get standings. And so I can tell you that I went from roughly 1.0 standings to roughly 3.0 standings in... 10 hours of nearly optimal standings grinding. Were you just like, hopping between two border systems to double your ticks? Nope. We had, uh, no, 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 it was, it was one system. So what it was, was this was when uh, the Gunstars had no response fleets. We had a system that had 42 Gunstars in it. And so we just formed a fleet. And every 15 minutes, somebody woke up, warped the fleet. We popped one Gunstar, warped back and waited another 15 minutes. And doing that method, it's a heavy gun star, mind you. So the only thing that we could have done better that was an orca or uh, like a, a drifter battleship. Uh, and even then, it took me 10 hours yeah, to, get enough, T- to get above to 3.0 standings. In TTI, um, I was one of the three people who set up the orca fleets, the orca standing fleets that we did toward the end of phase four when we knew about the standings. We were actually running dedicated fleets that would just go to the major Edencom systems and pop the orcas after scanning them down. Because that was the biggest tip we could get. We would do one every 15 minutes. We had a 45-minute loop between three systems. All right. Well, uh, thank you for coming. And thank you for talking about your plans and how you've been experimenting with this new content and how you were able to deal with it during uh, invasions. I'm, I'll be, I hope that this is not the last time I hear from you and your antics. It almost certainly won't be. I've got a bit of a war chest to burn through before we're uh, out of ideas. So, And if you need... If you need uh, Triglavian Dread BBCs. Hit me up. Uh, yeah, hit him up. <laughs> uh, Eliza Coots in game. A L I Z A space K O O T Z. Um, I've got some blueprints to sell. The materials to build them because there are no minerals. I cannot afford to build the holes. Can't uh, find enough compressed ore quite literally to build anything right now. All right, cool. Drop your information into the chat there and people will be able to see it later on. And we'll put it in the show notes for the YouTube video as well. Nice to meet you, pilot. Thank you. Uh, I'll be bailing on you guys now then. All right. Take care. All right, Ash, uh, you got anything else? If not, we'll wrap up with a little bit of war news. All right.
That's all I got. I, I I'm uh I'm gonna be getting ready for vacation. That's right. Well deserved. <laughs> well deserved. Okay, so uh, as far as Delve goes, there's been a lot of demolitions. We call them these days uh, because they're really not that contested going on. And uh, so yesterday we had two keep stars killed. I believe one was in 7G TAC QIG. Second keep star was HZAQ TAC W that was uh, destroyed as well. So uh, also it uh, looks like another keep star 39P is in armor. I hope my information is current. It's moving so fast. I'm not sure uh, if that is um, old news already. Also, 11 Fortizars have been destroyed in the last, say, 24, 36 hours. Three Satios, three Tataras, uh, and a bunch of other stuff, too, all in various states of death. So a lot of structure grinding going on for Pappy inside of Delve. Again, as a lot of it seems to be... I've heard, actually, that the that Goonswarm or the Imperium is not even showing up to contest... Um, like the uh, the jammers anymore. They're not really preventing the jammers. This is from a, a source uh, that told us. But uh, that doesn't mean they're rolling over. They're fighting all over the place, I'm sure, in other ways. Uh, maybe in catch as that space is kind of opening up or, or you know, where Legacy lives. But Delve itself is getting uh, d demolished right now, demolitioned. All right. I do want to hop in. We have a yeah. question. Uh, somebody asked... Uh, this game has been on, around for a long time. Is it too late to join, basically? And the answer is absolutely not. Uh, the game, for a lot of reasons I'm not going to go into right now, it is just as good, if not as good of a time as any, for you to join EVE Online. Uh, but the sooner you start, the better off you will. And make sure to use a buddy code to get 1 million free SP, which is about a month's for, worth of training for free, uh, and uh, find some good answers for you. Yeah, there is our Discord. I just put it in the chat there. Talking in Stations Discord. Also, Talking in Stations, uh, uh, or actually, YouTube.com slash Talking in Stations has a lot of videos uh, and information there for you as well. But it's a community that you can join. And there we have a help channel. Any question you ask, whether it's advanced or beginner level, any question gets answered in a matter of minutes. That's just with four and a half thousand people in a Discord from veterans to new players, questions get answered quickly, and we're happy to help. Jump into voice comms. We'll sit with you all day long and talk with you and uh, help you through some stuff. Is it a good time to join EVE Online? I think it's one of the better times to join EVE Online. You agree with that? Oh, yeah. Like, it, it, CCP has put a lot of work into making the experience of being a new player better than ever. Um, in fact, if anything, it's actually... A not a great time to be an old grizzled veteran. veteran player. Yeah. <laughs> We're the ones that are sucking to suck right now. It's actually a pretty decent uh, time. Just realize that this isn't like a lot of other MMOs, um, and uh, you know this is very Dark Soulsy. And you know, if, if it's hard, if you it's the professionals' game, basically, it'll kill you. They'll be <laughs> lost, but it's okay. You can learn and get better. And 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 you're, the more you learn the game, the better off you're going to be. And then soon you'll be dunking people with years of experience because yeah. they didn't get any better. And quickly, too. My favorite saying about EVE Online, although it cuts both ways, is it's not the subscription price that's the actual fee for playing EVE Online. It's the time. It sucks your soul into it since it's so cool, so addictive, so deep. Uh, there's so many things to master. And the thing about EVE Online that people really have to understand is it's not one game. 
This is a world where people are playing all sorts of different games, running into each other and uh, setting each other back and sometimes uh, cooperating and helping each other and sometimes outplaying and outmaneuvering each other. It's just that kind of place. And you can get good at it really fast, but it does take time to uh, to get into this, the content that you want. So be patient. All right. So you mentioned... Uh... Uh, videos that talking stations makes videos too, and I've been working on a video as well. So That's if right. you wanted to, we could actually wrap up to, like when it's when we're done, we can close off the night by showing off the. Uh, we'll the, have to show the, it off your machine. I don't know if I have it queued. Uh, can you do that? I ha I dropped it in this. It's in the stream notes. The YouTube link to it should be there. Can you not? Yeah, I'll grab it. Okay, so we can end with. All right, that. cool. Why don't you yeah. like lead us into it? Sure. Did we have anything else before then? Nope, that's it. That's all the news. All right. Well, so basically, um, for the last five years or so, I have been asked one question more than anything else. Who are the Drifters? Um, the Drifters obviously came into prominence with Caroline Starr. It grasped everybody's attention and then basically faded into nothingness. And a lot of people think that that storyline has been, a, you know, like left to the wayside or something. But really, it's actually part of a much larger, interesting story that includes the Triglavians and uh, a lot of other pieces to it. So um, I've, I've started to try to make new videos for, as, for talking in stations to teach and introduce people to EVE Online. And as one of them is the lore. So this is the first in my series on the Precursor Crisis. It's called uh, Who Are the Drifters? All right. Well, check this out. And uh, then we will send you over to Trash Talk Tuesday, I think. Okay, here we go. Enjoy this. By 2730 AD, nearly 21,000 years before the modern era, the human race had colonized its home system of soul. Within 5,000 years, humanity had stretched out to consume all resources within the range of their warp drive technology. Near the end of the 8th millennia, a miracle came to the human race in the form of a semi-stable wormhole, which connected them to a previously undiscovered land of prosperity. Within a few short years, the largest colonization effort in human history began as countless souls poured through the Eve Gate and into New Eden. However, the fortunes of mankind took a turn less than a century later in 8061 when the Eve Gate collapsed, cutting off the colonies of New Eden Cluster from Terra. The cost was devastating to those remaining. Countless colonies were lost, and the very history of mankind faded into legend. Little is known from this prehistory, but we do know of the existence of three civilizations that held influence in those early days. The Yanyong, masters of gravitonic technology and force field theory, settled in the Detol region in modern-day Galente space, but all records of them end around the year 9000 AD. Unsettlingly, the remains of the Talakan Empire, which mostly are found in the mysterious Anoikis, a series of far-flung star systems accessible in the modern day only through unstable wormholes, seem to have also fallen from power at about this time. Of all of the ancient empires, the only one whom we have met in the modern era are the enigmatic Jovian. Being a relatively primitive civilization compared to their contemporaries, the Jovians survived the Eve Gate collapse by having their entire civilization loaded on immense arcs and shuffled at barely faster than light speeds. The majority of the population remained in suspended animation in a virtual reality environment known as the Construct, 
those inside of the construct use the time dilation of the simulation to rapidly advance their civilization beyond anything imaginable in the physical world. Soon, the limitations of reality were no match for this new civilization. To protect them from corruption and to ensure a tether to reality, a law was established in the early days known as the One Body One Mind Law, which simply states that for you to have a consciousness within the construct, one must also have a physical body connected to it. This serves two purposes. First, it makes sure that each being inside of the construct was at least once human, but also the construct itself was eventually transformed to use the brains of those connected to it as part of its computational systems. Thus removing the physical body would disrupt a part of the construct or even take parts with it. Outside of the construct, the Jovians had gone through three distinct empires. The first collapse occurred when the highly engineered elders began suppressing the biological experimentation of the other Jovians. When Michael Bohr reunited the Jovians in a second empire, they began performing increasingly bizarre experiments on themselves, causing both the Jovian disease and the formation of the sleeper civilization out of those living in the construct. The Jovian disease is not so much of an actual disease as an engineered defect in Jovian biology that causes melancholy, madness, and death to all Jovians on a long enough timeline. Eventually, the Jovians turned to those who lived inside of the construct looking for answers to the disease, and the only solution was to enter the suspended animation and join them within the construct. The conflict and disorder that came from this era is known only as the Shrouded Days, and no one, not even the remaining Jove, seemed to fully understand what happened in those days. What does seem to be true is that eventually those inside of the construct, now known as Sleepers, fled the Jovians, eventually settling in what we now know as Wormhole Space, or Noikus. The remaining Jovians migrated to modern-day Jove space and continued to struggle against the disease as they monitored the younger empires, now only emerging from the Dark Ages. Eventually, modern politics, in combination with the uncontrollable disease, led the Jovians to retreat further and further from the rest of New Eden. But as one empire falls, another rises. Deep inside of Anoika, separated from New Eden by unfathomable time and space, a violation of the construct was born. Without the shepherding of those outside of the construct, an entity which violated the one body, one mind law appeared within the construct. A small child with black eyes that had never been born and had never had a physical body. This thing was called the Other and was rejected and hated by the sleepers. But this seems to have only fueled its desire to take over and consume. And over time, more of these defects were made. A little over a decade and a half ago, in the year YC-105, the Empire of Amar was having their own trouble. The Emperor, Hydrian VII, ruler of Amar for three centuries, had died of turret disease on August 28, YC-105. The Amar Empire is ruled by a small handful of noble houses, each with a selected heir to head the house. When the time came, the heirs competed with one another in a process known as the Succession Trials. The winner becomes the new emperor, or empress, and the losers must commit suicide in a ritual that is known as the Rite of Shaffle Sin. So when the five houses competed in YC-105, Dorian Corazor was chosen and became Emperor Dorian II, but this did not settle the issues within the Empire. Jamil Sorum, the heir to the highly militant Sorum House, was reluctant to give her life in the ancient traditions, and when she lost, conspired with her loyalists on a plan to cheat death. 
The very flesh of the heirs is seen to be sacred by the Amar, so the idea of cloning a body and mind of Jamil was against Amar scriptures. But this did not stop Jamil's loyal follower Felic Grange from secretly cloning her at the Matriarch Citadel. These events had not gone unnoticed in Anoikis. The other reached out across the cosmos and discovered the plot to illegally and secretly clone the failed heir to the Amar's throne. When her mind was transported to the Matriarch Citadel, the other hopped on board and stitched itself into her brain. Once there, the other whispered into the heir's mind, teaching her the secrets of ancient technology and revealing the location and function of an incredibly powerful superweapon, which she then used to defeat the Elder Fleet of the Mimitar as they flew above Jamil's birth planet in Sorum Prime. The recent assassination of Dorian II had plunged the Amar into chaos, and Jamil's triumphant return had been deemed a miracle of God. This led to Jamil being crowned the Empress of Amar. After using the weapon, she discarded it to allow it to fall into the hands of the Rogue Drones, a hive that is also likely under control of the other. A Sisters of Eve ship that was doing investigation on the Eve Gate, where the weapon was first found, traced the energy readings to the weapon's location. A Blood Raider group trailed the SOE ship and witnessed them being destroyed by the Rogue Drone Hive. However, the Blood Raiders, probably through the help of the Society of Conscious Thought, or at the very least some Jovians, were able to disable the drones. The Blood Raiders would have acquired the weapon for themselves and brought upon an endless harvest of blood, if not for the Valiant Thuckers. A tribal ship and crew who chose to sacrifice themselves to destroy the weapon rather than to let it fall into the wrong hands. The explosion triggered the Isogen 5 that was being packed inside of Jamil's ship and the hive surrounding it. This cache of Isogen 5 was one of several that was created by the pre-Dark Age empires and stored near certain stars. Isogen 5 itself is a super rare isotope of Isogen that seems to only occur around certain blue stars and have unheard of gravitonic properties. To make matters worse, this cache was quantumly entangled with at least nine other caches which also exploded simultaneously. These explosions poured energy into the local stars, causing massive coronal mass injections, destroying the closest planet near each star. This is known as the Salian Incident, or the Apocrypha Event. In addition to the shattered planets created by the explosions, numerous traversable temporal defects known as wormholes began appearing, leading people to discover temporary shortcuts between distant stars, as well as connecting them to the long-lost Anoikis. Still in partial control of Jamil, the other pushed her to send her scientists into the uncharted space, breaching the sleeper conclaves and extracting the suspended bodies of the sleepers. They then used the sleeper implants to make their first immortal foot soldiers, the Templars. Inside of the construct, the other used this chance to imprison rebellious sleepers and to send out copies of the other into the minds of the Templars. Eventually, the dangers of the Templar was discovered, and most were purged. Most. Now partially freed from the construct, the other constructed massive hives and cracked open the sleeper enclaves, using the bodies itself to puppet them in order to control their newly developed warship, the Drifter Battleship. Around this time, something happened that the other didn't expect. The stars we now know as Anoikis were stitched together by the ancient Talokan. They did so by constructing a Dyson Swarm lattice around stars and using the energy to punch holes into reality and traverse them using static gates. One such star, W477 TAC-P, is located in what is now Jovian space. The explosion from the Isogen 5 caches sent energy through the network pouring into W477 TAC-P and damaging the lattice around it. 
Several years later, in YC-117, W-477-TAC-P exploded, causing an even larger event blowing open the inner chambers of Anoikis and leading the drifter forces to pour into known space and began exploring and dismantling the sleeper caches and Jovian observatories that had up until this point been cloaked and observing us for nearly a hundred years. In the modern era, this event is known as the Caroline Star Event. What they want is unclear. They have five wormholes, each named after a kind of fortification. Inside of each is a hive filled with drifter battleships and support cruisers. Highland Tukas warned us of a great invasion that never seemed to have come. However, at the center of each of these hives is a massive vortex of energy surrounding a pile of what may have been fragments taken from the observatories. Additionally, from the records that we have gained from the Triglavians, we have discovered that these drifters have entered into Abyssal Dead Space and disrupted the Triglavian Collective that have been hiding there since the end of the Second Jovian Empire, the very same empire that drove the Sleepers off over 2,000 years ago. The Triglavians see the drifters as heirs to the Second Jovian Empire, and while they do not understand their artificial nature fully, they identify them as the ancient enemy Azdaja, or the ancient enemy Dragon. Now the Drifters are arriving in force in Poshvin, and the Triglavians are warping space-time to gain a foothold into K-Space. This ancient war has spilled out into the modern day as the Precursor Crisis. All right, that's about it. Um, I can tell from the comments that people are really excited about it. I'm really happy about that. Um, somebody said that they need to rewatch it and take notes. It's kind of the point. It's it's a bit dense, I know, but hopefully we'll bring out more that can explain some more of these details. There's a lot to it. Um, but I hope to have this in its final form out on TIS's YouTube, like by the next by the end of the day or so. Um, so. Excellent work. That was beautiful. Those gorgeous graphics cut to uh, lore. Uh, it's great. It's super dense, yeah, but uh, it's worth uh, three, four, five watches, and with uh, all that great editing, uh, it'll, yep. it'll be painless. And we are going to do... So I want to make other lore videos, too, but I also want to make... Other, we want to make other videos to explain just mechanics of game of the Eve, too. So, like, for instance, one of the ones that we're probably going to be working on next is a fittings video to help explain some of the basic mechanics of fittings. Yeah. So Astarothy is uh, TIS's lead and director of uh, basically curated content, stuff that's edited and put together and stuff like that. So he'll be doing a lot of great videos uh, with talking in stations. Uh, he'll be directing great stuff just like that. Ash, beautiful video. Uh, we're going to have that up soon for you guys. Thanks very much. And again, send your kudos to Ashtarathi uh, when you watch that video in the comments. That would be awfully nice. Uh, we will see I you. I appreciate it. I'm just glad that people enjoy it. Yeah. We will see you next time. Ash, have a great vacation. Deserve it. And uh, we'll see you guys next time on Talking in Stations.